What is up? Welcome to Culture FC, the weekly soccer show that's not really about soccer. We cover lifestyle, fashion, music, politics, basically all the things surrounding the beautiful game, just none of the stuff happening on the pitch. My name is Louie. And I'm Mikey. And this week, we got to talking about uh, NBC Sports and their coverage of the Premier League here in the United States because the two of us had the amazing opportunity over this past weekend to go to the Fan Fest that they had in Boston where there was a crap load of people at. We dove into what we think about Premier League fans here in the United States, what it means for soccer as a whole, and just how awesome it was to be there, kind of. Uh, but on top of that, we also covered news from this week. So if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us an honest review. Let us know what we can get better at. Let us know what you think about these episodes. It would mean the world to us. Uh, we're always trying to get better at what we do. And yeah, share it with a friend. If you have a friend who enjoys these intellectual kind of conversations, uh, let them know that you have, there's a cool podcast you've been listening to. Exactly. With two cool dudes plus two more cool dudes who aren't here today. But, you know, there's four cool dudes here. You can follow us on pretty much all of our socials at Trouble Soccer as well as at CultureF.C for the show-specific Instagram page that we have for this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our channel on YouTube. We have a bunch of other shows that we do. So, Check us out on there. We have an MLS show we do as well as a brand new series where we are highlighting uh, legends of the game for people who didn't get a chance to really experience them live. So check us out on there. Give us the subscribe. It would mean the world to us. But that's enough of me asking you guys to do stuff. Let's jump right into this week's episode. But all right, jumping right along into this week's little news topics. First one is the New England Revolution head coach, Brad Friedel, called out MLS players' mentality. So he was really frustrated the way that his team played. But then again, he must have forgotten he was uh, managing the New England Revolution and must have forgotten that they suck. But uh, yeah, he uh, uh, basically called out all the different players in the league saying that the, quote, the mentality of a player in this league a lot of players, when they lose, it doesn't hurt enough, Friedel said. There's not relegation. They don't get fined. They don't have fans waiting by their cars. They don't have people beating them up. They don't have the pressure they have in other leagues. And so this has caused quite a little bit of a stir, but I wanted to get your uh, feelings on this initially. Like, what do you think about the statement? Is it a little harsh? Is it kind of fair? How do you feel about it? If you think this statement is harsh, I think you're sensitive. This statement is completely true. Um, he is completely valid to say that these players don't have that pressure like people do in the other leagues. You know what I mean? Like fans will really show up to training grounds and yell at you if you guys are doing poorly. And unfortunately, the U.S. doesn't have that because of the no relegation policy. Well, the other part that I found interesting, too, was the, you know, the relegation part I thought was super important because of what we talked about last week. And, you know, we really dove into uh, promotion relegation here in the United States. And it was really interesting to see a head coach uh, for a club in Major League Soccer calling for promotion and relegation, uh, despite the fact that the league's stance on it is so they're anti-promotion, they're anti-relegation. And so when you have a head coach in that league calling for it, it makes a very weird dynamic. And I, I can't imagine what that conversation must have been like afterwards if someone hit him up and be like, hey, bro, you know we're not supposed to talk about this. Like, we're not supposed to give this any credibility. Um, so I found that part to be very interesting. 
definitely Don Garber sent him the text like, bro, qu- calm down. You wilding out right now. <laughs> like you need to simmer down, homie. <laughs> but yeah, man. Um, especially since Brad Friedel's career, really, he really did play in England for a lot of it. So he he knows what it's like. He's felt that pressure. I definitely think he has the right to say that. No, yeah. And I think that what I found even more interesting about the comments, uh, aside from just the promotion relegation part of it, was, you know, there really isn't any pressure on these players. And I'm not saying that there should be any violence or anything of that nature. So uh, when he's talking about how, uh, you know, players aren't being confronted in the parking lot or, or things of that nature, it's a little weird because you know we don't want to promote violence but it's also a matter of like these clubs are are for the community it's for the people and you have to remember that and here in the states it's not you know people i can't even imagine a single revolution supporter trying to confront somebody in the parking lot of gillette like no way like no one would ever possibly do that that's because all revs fans are like grandfathers (laughs) (laughs) taking their grandkids to games and stuff not all of them i've been i am a fan i don't go that often but i've been to quite a few games we went to one last year yeah and i went to no and then i went to one the year before that and yeah but yeah so definitely like can't imagine one of those old dudes confronting one of these players out in the parking lot but he's in a weird way while i don't condone violence i do think he's right because the truth is there isn't any pressure if a if a your star striker misses a sitter that's it he moves on to the next day but you got to remember that this isn't the nba they don't play 82 games where it's like oh i missed it up i'll I'll figure it out next time like i think it's right uh, that he's mentioning the mentality of these players i think it's right for him to call out his players especially because they went on to win 2-1 the next game. So it is interesting. I did see someone tweet uh, this past week about these comments saying that, uh, like, Brad Friedel, what are you talking about? Um, you know, these players do have pressure. A lot of these players are playing for their jobs. You know what I mean? Like, if they don't play well, they're, they have jobs. So what, how is your reaction to that, Mikey? What? Playing for their jobs? Bro, their jobs are secure. They don't have to worry about their, them going down to a second division. They don't have to worry about playing lesser opponents. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what? I, I think a lot of it came from the fact that maybe, like, if you're a fringe player and, like you're getting towards the end of the season and they haven't renewed your contract but that doesn't that, that's the same for every player in every league like yeah. i don't think you can you could discount it that way that's I mean, more of a personal problem than anything you know absolutely. what i mean absolutely yeah i think yeah i don't know i just figured i wanted to play devil's advocate see if we could get any yeah no i, I completely disagree with this guy. hell no nah. <laughs> we are not agreeing with this dude he kind of soft but again not condoning violence i'm not saying if the next time you know Diego Fungundes misses a penalty or something that you go try to like stone his car the way that he might it might happen in like England but like but if you do it don't say you listen to us okay (laughs) we are not giving out ideas fact (laughs) I feel like there's a line right as long as if you confront a player but if you're not violent I think you have every right to you paid money to go watch and if it's shit I think you should confront people just don't be violent exactly you know what I mean like you you'll go to an NBA game and you you'll hear the fans scream at them yeah, every fan deserves to scream at them if you paid it. I mean, if you have season tickets, why not? Be able to yell at least one mean thing. They should That should be a, a thing in their uh, season ticket agreement. Like, you can yell one mean thing at one person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. 
But all right, moving along to another topic that's a little reoccurring. Uh, if you remember a couple episodes back, episode 51, I believe, uh, we talked about Olivia Moultrie, uh, the young 13-year-old girl who was trying to, who had gone professional. Who had, We talked about her contract with Nike and how uh, she's getting a lot of money, getting a lot of publicity from all of this. Uh, but one aspect that we didn't talk about, it actually it kind of it, it happened over the last couple weeks, is that, uh, so Olivia Moultrie gave up her UNC scholarship. Yep. And uh, has now uh, been training and practicing with the Portland Thorns, one of the best women's teams in uh, the States. And she just debuted in a preseason game for the Thorns over this past week. She played the whole second half. And, like, this is a 13-year-old girl yep. who played 45 minutes against professionals in a real game. Like, I don't care if it's preseason. You are a professional. Exactly. This is she was on the field at the same time as the 35-year-old Christine Sinclair, who is a legend of the game. Like, you're a professional. Yo, Louis, what were you doing at 13? I'm not gonna lie, the doors were locked somewhere, and the <laughs> I'd rather not say. 13-year-old me was definitely not being a professional <laughs> soccer player, I'll tell you that. Um but What's really interesting is that we talked about how the rule, the FIFA rules don't allow her to participate technically in the league uh, until she's 18, but there's no rule against her being, uh, there's no rule against her playing a preseason game. Yep. And so that's how they explored that loophole. But so what did you think about this, Mikey? It's, I think it's great, honestly, especially for everyone, soccer in general, like she's 13 going up against players that play on the national team. The fact that she's attracting this much attention and now she's debuting with a team that she plays for at a lower level because she cannot play at the top. You know, this is this is big, especially for the league. I believe she should be allowed to play in the league. Uh, they broke the rules for Freddie Adu to play in the league when he was 15. So, and that's exactly where I was going with this. Do you think that it's both a cautionary tale and one that's very interesting. Like you said, they they had to create new rules for Freddie Adu when he made his debut in the MLS. Do you think they should do that for the NWSL? Yeah, definitely. And so, but does the story of Freddie Adu not kind of scare you where, you know, he hit the hype too early? Or do you think, how, how, do, you, how do you compare that, right? Because if let's say she debuts for the actual Portland Thorns and it starts to play and starts to really get her hype really built up, do you think she could stagnate and go the way of Freddie Adu? Or do you think that these are two separate occasions so we can't judge one by the other? We can't judge one by the other. Uh, it's definitely two different cases. Olivia does train a lot more than a lot of people usually do. Her, I mean, yeah, she's homeschooled and plays soccer all the time. So, yeah, fair. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I do believe that this is two different cases you know what i mean you can't tell what's going to happen yet because it's obviously the future but you don't know if she's going to stagnate or she could become the best female player ever right and it's almost like it's also kind of a case of ageism in a way where it's like if she's good enough should there be a law or rule that doesn't allow her to play it's not like this is American football or a, you know, soccer is a contact sport, but it's not a, I'm going to knock you the fuck out sport. You know what I'm saying? It's a, you know, if there's contact, it's a shoulder to shoulder tackle or it's a slide tackle, things along that nature. So I don't really see anything that should stop somebody if they're good enough to play from playing. And from what I've seen, she's tall. Like she's, we watch highlights. Like she is 
there within the same height with these players. Like, so I don't it, think I don't think size is a problem. It does mitigate that, right? If she's the same size, does it really matter how old she is? I wonder what is the the sticking point on this. Really, I wonder if it's the the comparisons to Freddie Adu. I wonder if it's the fact that people are just like, oh, but she's such a young girl, or what it is, yeah, like a liability type of thing. Sort of, but at the same time, like like you said, she could be a global superstar if you know they take care of her the right way, which it seems like they're trying. You know what I mean? Like uh, the coach from the Thorns said that she he really liked what she what he saw from her. Uh, one of the little videos I saw, she lost the ball, but then worked her ass off to recover it. So, you know, shows the heart, shows the desire to be there. And so the way I see it, if she's good enough to play, it doesn't matter how old you are. And I mean, uh, I don't know. I just think give her a shot. Tra- give her a shot. If she fails, she fails. Put her back into the into the academy, into the academy, put her back into the under 20s or whatever it is. But if she's good enough to play professionally, no one should be able to stop her. Like, I'm sorry. I don't care if she's 13. Why are you holding care. this little girl back? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that it should be about, it should be a merit-based system. If you're good, play. That's exactly. It. And we'll keep following her story. I find it to be absolutely fascinating um, how this girl is kind of taking this, the female soccer world by storm. And hopefully she can continue doing so by being a professional and hopefully making her real-time debut for the Portland Thorns. Who knows if it'll happen this season? Who knows what will happen next season? But we'll make sure we're keeping an eye on it because this is something that is very interesting to us. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're crossing our fingers for this. This could be big. But all right, Mikey, moving along to the fashion world of soccer. I wanted to talk to you about mashup jerseys. So recently, uh, Nike and a few other pl- people and designers have started to come up with uh, jersey designs that are essentially taking previous older jerseys and mashing them up to make a new jersey so nike did this for inter milan and it was beautiful uh they basically took all of the iconic old inter jerseys of the past put the patterns together and it actually ended up looking gorgeous because the colors blended it looked really good did you see that i did see that barcelona had one too very very nice beautiful exactly um and then nike (laughs) made one for man city uh because Nike, this is the last year Nike has as a sponsor for Man City. Um, they were like, you know what? We're going to take a mashup of all of the the jerseys we ever made for City and made them a warm-up top, which, you know, they didn't take different era jerseys. They kind of just took different, like they took the away from one year, the third from another year, and the home for the other. And it became this like mess of color and it just didn't work out, at least in my opinion. It looks like throw up. Doesn't it? It looks weird. It looks like it doesn't know what's going on. Whereas the Inter and Barca ones, in my opinion, just they look better composed in exactly. a way. And this obviously isn't their first few ones. They've done them before. They did one for Arsenal when Arsenal left Nike to sign with Puma. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that part. Did one. It was fire. Was it? Yeah. Very, very exclusive. And, you know, this isn't their first rodeo. So for them to re- produce something like this is to me a bad look and so while i do agree it's a bad look really what i wanted to focus on is how what we what we feel about the trend because it hasn't just been nike uh, a lot of different designers uh because like we've talked about on the show soccer has become part of high fashion um a lot of different designers are starting to use this idea of just mashing up jerseys to try and create something new is this design uh style innovative or lazy I think it's innovative. 
I definitely think if you could pull it off, a mixture of colors that match, a mixture of styles that don't make it too hard on the eyes and make it look right, I think it works. So I think it's moving fashion forward a little bit. Because I, I, I want to agree with you. I do. Because when you think about it, you know, one of the arguments for these mashup jerseys is like, how many more versions of a jersey can you make? You know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking of like Atletico Madrid. They have white and red stripes. Like, how many times can you reproduce that over the course of a hundred years? Especially given uh, companies now are coming out with jerseys every single year for new for their clubs. Exactly. It's almost like it's an idea where every couple years you can kind of break it up and create a mashup jersey. Um, but at the same time, when I see things like the Man City kit, I think like, man, it's just getting kind of lazy. It's almost like a oh, hey, we don't really have any other ideas. Let's just take everything we made before and put it all together. Yeah, I honestly think they're like, we're, let's try hard with this Barcelona one because everyone knows Barcelona will sell. And or, they have history. Yep. Word, let's give it to Inter. They have history too. They have trophies like that. <laughs> and, you know, that one hit too. But boy, this city one is fucking ugly. Right. And the thing is, they're using it as a warm-up top uh, for, I think, the games from now to the end of the season. Do you think that we're going to start seeing these mashup jerseys on the field soon? Do you think it's going to become a legitimate jersey that clubs will be rocking? Or is it going to be this, like, uh, you know, almost like this fourth style design that's only, like, on the shelves but not really used on the pitch? Basically, what I'm asking is, will it ever be the home jersey for a club? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think um, they might have one next season really i i could see it happening um especially since psg had four jerseys this year uh two of them made by jordan so they're always especially since paris is one of the fashion capitals of the world they're always trying to go fashion forward and i honestly think i could see psg making one as a third one or a fourth one for champions league or for something like that that would yeah no and i could see that and I, and like i said I, I don't necessarily think i have a problem with the tactic or the design style of doing so i just think it needs to be done well in a way where you're honoring the club with the history and doing it doing it in a way that is creating something new not as a scapegoat of being like i'm bored we have nothing else to do i have no ideas let's go with this yeah literally what it looked like for the like barcelona and inter like we said were put together perfectly flawlessly but cities they literally were like cut 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 boom tape it up all right we're good and it. and it just looks like a big X on the front of the jersey with like four different regions with a bunch of different colors. And I think, you know, Barca and Inter, they kept the use of colors down so that it wasn't just so out there. Exactly. Um, whereas it kind of created the sense where you're looking at it. It was like, man, it's it's a really cool break of different parts of the jersey, which each one has like a bit of history. Um, so I don't know. This is such a weird topic to talk about because it, it divides me so much internally yeah no lie like the man city one you could probably get away with that wearing it to like an ugly christmas sweater (laughs) that shit is hideous well there's a good idea for you city fans that listen to us maybe wear that to your next christmas party and psg (laughs) if you guys do a mashup jersey i need the credit at least royalties please something cut the check check to culture fc um fly us out for a game (laughs) let me meet neymar or mbappe Shoot, I'll meet Rabio if he's still there. I don't care. <laughs> Someone. Come on, PSG. Help us out. Help the boys out. But all right, Mikey. So 
Moving along to our main topic of this week, I wanted to discuss the impact that NBC Sports has had on soccer in the United States. The reason I wanted to talk about this topic is the two of us uh, over this past weekend, we went to the Premier League Fan Fest that NBC Sports held in Boston at Fenway Park. Uh, It was crazy. It was so many people. And according to Boston.com, there were... 12,597 people uh, at the Fan Fest. Essentially, uh, they took us this like really long street and closed it off end to end. And they put up a bunch of TV screens where they were simulcasting all of the different games from the weekend where each game was on a different TV. So, you know, the Man United supporters could be in front of one TV and, the and you know, the people who support Brighton could watch the other TV and the people who were watching Huddersfield get relegated could watch the other TV. <laughs> Damn, that's so, heartbreaking, dude. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta be sensitive about that But they that actually one. did get relegated. I know, RIP Huddersfield. <laughs> but the, the, what was really interesting is just the energy that was at this place. I mean, it's it was so strange to us, I think, because, like, yeah, I've been to the Man United bar in Boston. There was a lot of people there, but... I didn't realize that it was to this scale that people loved it this much. You know what I mean? It was definitely eye-opening. I agree with you. I've never seen so many people wearing so many soccer jerseys, different ones. I saw almost every club you could think of. I've seen, I saw Brazilian clubs. I saw Italian clubs, French clubs. I saw a bunch of different English teams. It was... And what was really interesting is like you saw clubs you saw people wearing like premier league jerseys for clubs that hadn't even played that day like we saw a bunch of guys with arsenal kits yet arsenal played we're recording on monday and this happened on saturday you know the game was today for arsenal but they were like you know what like we want to go be premier league fans this weekend and we're going to go to this fan fest and so at this fan fest they also did a live uh the broadcast for their announcers from the inside of the bar that we were actually across the street from because the bar that they were doing the broadcast from was packed it was jam-packed and the line was wrapping around this bridge and we were like well we're not getting in there so we went to the the bar across the street which was also packed to the brim and they had two floors and both floors were packed watching the manchester united game it was so astounding to see and so what started to get my mind uh running on this topic was i saw a tweet because twitter is amazing and someone uh wrote and the tweet that I saw, it was by uh, Nipin Chopra, PhD. NBC Sports has done more for soccer in America than the United States Soccer Federation. And then I retweeted it saying, say it louder for the people in the back. And then I got to thinking like a day later after I, I, I tweeted this, I was like, you know what? That's kind of true. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago about how the, you know, the explosion of, of the Premier League has kind of coincided with the accessibility that NBC Sports has kind of provided with their coverage. And I'm really starting to think about like, you know, that same day that we were at the bar watching this with, a you know, 12,000 other Premier League supporters, the Revolution were playing a game 40 miles away and no way in hell do they even have close to 12,000 people. And so I started to think about like, man, we, I think that we're not giving NBC Sports enough credit and the Premier League enough credit for really energizing soccer people in America. Exactly. I did not know there was 12,000 English soccer supporters there in this area, like any state surrounding Massachusetts, just because of the popularity factor. I didn't think it was as popular, but as NBC started getting their licenses to play it here, 
you saw it grow. And it's only been growing more. This past year, they have just been getting even better ratings and the Premier League is becoming even more popular and more popular. And so basically for today's episode, I really wanted to take a look at four different factors that I feel have really contributed to why NBC Sports should be kind of credited for popularizing soccer in America. And, you know, the first one being accessibility. Uh, We talked about this a little bit, like I said, a couple episodes back, but Think about it this way. NBC Sports is a cable network, you know, and it's accessible to millions of people who just happen to have cable in America. And that's a lot of people. That's millions and millions of people. And so the fact that now it was just all of a sudden available to be watched in America and you didn't have to rely on a stream, that made a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Over five years ago, you were not getting this opportunity. You solely had to rely on streams. Or maybe like the odd game here or there that might be on TV, but more more often than not, definitely had to rely on the stream. So giving the people like you, if you have basic cable, you have NBC and Pretty. literally like wake up one Saturday morning, one Sunday morning, you will catch a Premier League game on there. The part that's really great is that it's made it so much easier for you to like try to get your buddies into the sport. Like, because as of right now, you could be like, Hey, Jimmy, turn on your NBC SN right now and watch some real soccer, bitch. And then Jimmy would go, and now Jimmy's a Brighton fan. You know what I mean? Because he had the ability. A Brighton fan. <laughs> Damn, Jimmy's Jimmy got bad luck. I mean, hey, we saw. I literally saw a dude in a yellow Brighton kit on Saturday, and I I hope he's from England because if you choose to willingly support them, you more power, even more power to you. Than exactly. Me. So definitely NBC giving them a platform to put the Premier League in the usa is so big especially for the soccer community just giving fans that had to endure the the buffering streams the streams that are in different languages that you could not understand (laughs) it's finally giving them a chance to watch their favorite clubs and like i said even more so for the people who weren't fans of the premier league before just because like don't forget like we're it's also not like it's like uh i don't know like some small network like NBCSN also has NASCAR. They have the NHL. They have other big sports that people in America care about. And they also cross promote. So all of a sudden it's like you're watching the NHL and you're like, holy shit. Like, you know, this, the, the Red Wings are doing something. I don't know. Hockey guys. I'm sorry. Uh, the Red Wings are a team though. Good fair. job. Thank Good you. Job. Thank you very much. I applaud myself. Um, but you're watching a Red Wings game and all of a sudden the puck goes somewhere and you go oh there's a little uh, uh advertisement for the premier league tomorrow morning i'm not doing anything let me check out what this premier league thing is because i trust nbc as a network and clearly they have other good sports shows and now all of a sudden i'm gonna watch it in the morning exactly and so it's been able to just be viewed by so many more people um but the you know accessibility alone isn't enough it's the fact that nbcsn also changed the culture around how people consume soccer in a way because of the time difference and because uh the premier league games uh they play in the morning on saturdays and sundays nbcsn had to kind of view it from a completely different lens every other sport they ever kind of covered was like a night game or an afternoon game and so basically one of the things that i personally think they did really well was embracing this thing that they created like the premier league mornings and they embraced this idea of like yes it's breakfast time on a sunday and saturday but wake up and watch this game and you know then they have the twitter campaigns where they're like you know send us a picture with your morning coffee or whatever it is and so by embracing that culture of of a different time for a sport and to really embrace the idea of like 
hey man breakfast is cool exactly pop on some footy exactly like let me get this everything bagel that's toasted I'm a munch some on. cream cheese a little bit of lox if you're into it lox. maybe get yourself some lox. what are lox it's salmon Ooh. it's white people breakfast man come on okay <laughs> all right my man louis <laughs> on a different i don't level. like salmon i'm not gonna lie i have a girlfriend who likes locks so we know what it is that is what it is <laughs> but you know this part of it was genius because they're not really competing with anybody at that time slot so i mean i guess you could argue that anybody who got the premier league rights would do would do well because it's not competing with it but it was the fact that you know nbcsn didn't just put it on in the morning they embraced the whole idea of premier league mornings they start running advertisements of people in their pajamas watching the sport and all of a sudden you start feel connected with the people who are playing the games and also you're feeling connected with other fans because you know that other people are doing the same thing as you so by embracing it completely it really created this whole other thing exactly so like imagine if espn had had it what they would have done is literally just there you go, Premier League Soccer. That's it. No, they wouldn't because they play cornhole championships on Saturday morning. Exactly. What are you going to play on a Saturday morning that would be better than that? Like, NBC, like, thank you for... Not being ESPN. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, but the other part about it that was also genius is that, think about it, the earliest games for the NFL are 1 o'clock. Exactly. Unless it's like an 11 o'clock game that they're playing... In a, London. Right. But even so... That's like one game a weekend. Yeah. If there's an NBA game that's early, it, the earliest is going to be is like a noon or one o'clock matinee. Yeah, and that's only for like special occasions. And it's only for special occasions like holidays and things of that nature. The fact that there was no competition for that time slot was massive. You know what I mean? Because what else are you going to do at that time? You're going to have breakfast. So exactly. They really did a good job of really playing to that level. And I think that that really started to build momentum for the sport. Now, the third part that I think that they did really, really well was they embraced the fans in a way that wasn't inauthentic. Uh, and basically what I mean by that is that they didn't portray the sport as if it was something that was super far away and like unobtainable. And they, they never really looked down on American soccer fans for being American soccer fans, despite the fact that these clubs are clubs in England. Exactly. They understood that they're like, hey, man, people are going to support clubs from wherever they are. And just because you're an American soccer supporter of your club doesn't make you any less than a supporter who lives in England. Exactly. You and know what I mean? NBC does a good job shining light on fan clubs around the country that go to, they wake up and go to a bar or a restaurant that has an owner, has a manager that loves the same team as them. For like an 8 o'clock kickoff. Exactly. We'll open up. Serve them drinks if they want to, whatever they want to do, have breakfast. No, but I, but I know what you mean. It's the fact that they truly just embrace the people. They're like, you know what, man? Just because you're a dude who lives in Boston, but you support Man United, or you're a dude who lives in L.A. and you support Chelsea, like that doesn't make you any less of a supporter. And exactly. I think that was important for people to, to not feel excluded in a sense. Exactly. This wasn't a broadcast for English people living in America. No, this is for everyone living in America. This was a broadcast for literally everyone living in america you got it spot on michael this is america guns in my air man i was trying to remember the next line of lyrics i could not <laughs> um but yeah no and i think that that was really awesome because it easily could have been that way they easily could have started to look down on american english premier league supporters and being like you don't know what you're talking about we're gonna you know dictate this towards the people who know what they're talking about yeah exactly but they did it in a way where it was 
enjoyable. It was informational. They teach you almost uh, subconsciously by the way they talk about the sport. It, that was super important into educating people um, about this aspect of it. Um, and on, on top of it, just the fact that they do events too, because Premier League Fan Fest in Boston was massive. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. It was truly huge. And so I really felt part of a community of Premier League su supporters here in the States, right? It was like, we go in and it's just like a sea of people in different kits and people coming in and coming out. And, you know, just by doing these events and showing that these people matter, it really brings a sense of community to everybody uh, around here who loves soccer. Because everybody who, who follows the NFL has that, you know, like exactly. in your day to day, you meet people who support the same uh, NFL team you do or the same NBA team you do. It's not the same for the Premier League. Definitely not. And so by creating events and, and putting the effort into making these fan fests, I think this is a massive reason why people have started to support clubs from English Premier League. Because think about it, right? You're a regular Boston person. You have yep. no idea about soccer, but, you know, maybe you drive by Fenway every day or you, you know, you need to go to Kenmore for whatever reason. And you see that many people outside, you're going to be like, what the fuck is going on? Exactly. You live in Boston, you watch the news, like, oh, 12,000 people gathered at Fenway and mm -hmm. the Sox don't play till next week. What are you talking about? What's exactly. going on? Or you see an advertisement about it because they advertise it too. And they're like, oh, Fan Fest in Boston. Wow, I live down the street from there. Let me go check it out. Let's go see what this is. So they do a really good job of, you know what I mean? It was eye-opening for me at least. And you know what's funny? I, did, I, know, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, they actually took, they brought a WWE dude. Uh, his name is Seamus. Yep. And he was doing stuff yesterday uh, for the second day of the Fan Fest because it was over two days. And I'm like, that's really cool. Like, that's a whole other thing, right? Because here's a guy who's in the WWE and he clearly has fans in America. People know who he is. And he's an avid soccer supporter. He's an avid Liverpool supporter. He comes to Boston and he's part of their panel of their announcers. Like, that's even cooler. Like, you're bridging the gap between so many other sports within this event that's then going on TV and it's just showcasing around the, the the whole country that, hey, it's okay to support an English club exactly. just because even though you're in America. And I just thought it was really cool that they were bridging the gap with, uh, with you know, wrestling fans who also might like soccer. For sure. And I think that goes back to that same thing where it's like, you may, you can love other sports, but these games are in the morning for you in America. So watch them too, which I think is a very powerful argument. Exactly. You get up in the morning and you play on your phone. Might as well watch a soccer game. Right. And then lastly, I think the last thing that I wanted to really credit them for is they're just they're just being damn good at their jobs. Everybody that NBCSN has covering the Premier League, I find them to be phenomenal at their jobs. Rebecca Lowe is oh, really, yeah. really good. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Rebecca Lowe. My God. Louie, calm down. Sorry. Uh, Kyle Martino, the two Robbies, and even, hell, the Men in Blazers are so good at what they do. Oh, yeah. Shout out to the Men in Blazers. Their podcast pretty funny. Uh, I, I used to enjoy it quite a lot. I don't, get a, I don't get to listen to it as often as I would like anymore, but it is one that I did enjoy very thoroughly and still do every once in a while. But I think that all of their in-studio people are really good. Their announcers during the games are just really, really good. One thing that I love about them is that they don't push an agenda. Exactly. They aren't there to be like oh my god the soccer's so great watch it because it's so awesome no they have unabashed commentary they have full-on discussions they dive deep into the real matters of the sport and they have people that know the sport speaking about it 
you know, just by them being really good at their jobs, the people who know the sport, who have followed it for years, it's much easier to enjoy their broadcast because I never feel like they're trying to, you know, show, shove their own agenda down my throat. They're honestly just like, hey, we're commentators. This is what happened in the sport. This is what we think. And their opinions are based in like good facts. Like they, they I just like the way that they do it. Um, and you, for a lot of people, they think that they used to think that Rebecca Lowe was just like a pretty face who would do the like the bridging between conversations. But no, absolutely not. She knows soccer. She knows her stuff, man. And so when everybody knows their stuff and can have a full blown conversation in yep. front of the camera, it makes you want to keep watching more. You might be thinking, oh, but Louis, that's a no brainer. You should be good at your job if you're on TV. Well, if you think that, I'd ask you to go watch Fox Soccer's coverage of the MLS, which sometimes it, you know, it does feel like they're forcing their agenda. And sometimes it feels like they're overlooking certain aspects. And they definitely have a lot more bias. Bias? They're a lot more bias. But yeah, no, they do have bias a lot when they're talking. Um, And I think I might have made up a word. What what word? Biasing. Biasing? by a c by a c but no i'm kidding um <laughs> but yeah i definitely think they are a lot more biased than um nbc would have been and so i guess to kind of answer the question is so does this mean that nbc sports made soccer explode in america absolutely not uh i think that not at least not alone anyway right exactly. i think that you know there are many many factors that contributed to this i think that the the accessibility of the world cup the fact that social media is now super huge that you don't exactly. have, because you don't have to listen to mainstream media now you can kind of pick and choose what you pay attention to because of social media i think as the years have gone by more people have you know explored soccer in america and there's a lot of other factors but i think that out of anybody who's contributed to that growth i think nbc sports and their coverage really needs to get some recognition because exactly they embraced it well they did it well and Honestly, they do a really good job about it. I complete with you wholeheartedly, man. Now, I will say this isn't just a love fest about NBC Sports because what they've been doing this year has been pissing me off. They've been putting important games behind fucking paywalls to try and get you to subscribe to something that's like their NBC Sports Gold package, and that's upsetting me. Yeah, no, go back to what you used to have. Especially because that goes against one of the main points of what we talked about, the accessibility, the fact that they're doing all that. You can't just start to charge people for the premium side. Now that they like it, you know what I mean? That's just such a backhanded move. Like, I don't like that. Exactly. What the hell? That's like giving a crackhead crack every day and you know what, crackhead? You can't have that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Have some sugar cookies instead. Like, no, thank you. I don't want sugar cookies. If I'm a crackhead, I want my crack. Yup. Welcome to Culture FC. <laughs> Greatest soccer podcast ever. <laughs> Where the crackheads get their recognition. <laughs> so how does this relate to the MLS? And how does this mean? And what does this mean for the MLS? Like I said, that day that we were at the bar watching this game, the Revs hosted, I don't know, a thousand something people. Um, and so for us here in New England, it feels really weird because... You know, we've seen the growth of the MLS over the last couple of years. We've documented the growth of the MLS. We've talked about it extensively, both on this podcast and everything else that Trouble does on our YouTube, everywhere. But here in New England, it's almost as if like it's been avoiding us. You know, yep. people don't care anymore. Nope. Clearly, Robert Kraft doesn't care anymore. Exactly. He's too busy getting handies. <laughs> but the fact that here's John Henry 
a Boston businessman who bought Liverpool uh, many, many years ago, invested in an overseas soccer club, and he brings that attention to Boston. Like he, I'm pretty sure he was at the Fan Fest, and like he, I'm, I'm assuming he must have been able to help negotiate something to get the Fan Fest there. Exactly. Especially because it was right outside of Fenway, what he, which he owns, and so. Yep. I think it's it's a very interesting dynamic right now where we're looking at John Henry versus Robert Kraft as owners of soccer clubs. Exactly. Know? And James Pelota, the owner of Roma, he lives in Massachusetts as well. He's also a Boston businessman. Exactly. I definitely think the Kraft family should give up their ownership of not give it up. Ooh, but, but hey, but. that is a actually that's a very decent idea. I think I'd be okay with John Henry taking over the Revs. James, James, whatever from uh, one of you guys should reach around and grab uh and grab Robert Kraft and be like, hey man, like any chance you'd want to sell your soccer club? Exactly, grab the Revs, move them to Boston. I mean, I, here's something I thought about uh, yesterday. What if they move the Revs to play at Fenway Park. You know, they do that for New York City FC. And now, of course, there are many issues yep. uh, in terms of playing at New York, at Yankee Stadium. You know, it's not exactly the best venue for soccer. It doesn't have the great sight lines. But New York City FC does get a good amount of people at their games. So if John Henry, for example, were to buy the Revs off of Robert Kraft, which, by the way, will never happen because Robert Kraft is very good friends with Don Garber, and that is literally never happening. Uh, but, you know, let's fantasize for a little bit longer. Exactly. Uh, I think that it would work. Do you think it could work at yes. Fenway? I yes. mean, because they've had games at Fenway. They oh, did, yeah. Didn't they do Liverpool-Roma at Fenway a couple they years They always back? do Liverpool. Liverpool always comes and plays a friendly. I think and so. I, Not and always, I th- but they've done it often. Yeah, they've done it like, at Enough least... Enough that it's significant. At least... Four times in the last, like, four. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not privy to all this. But, yeah, long story short, it has happened. Yes. Um, I don't know. I think that could be an idea. People listening, if you yeah. also like that idea, let us know. But there's also other places in the Boston area. Well, I mean, that's <sighs> been the... Well, that's Har- also true. Harvard Stadium. They could play at Harvard Stadium, re- refurbish that, make it a little bit better. Um. They could share the field with BU. BU, yeah, definitely. Right off the pike there. But yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of things that could be done to solidify a soccer fandom here in Boston. And I think the first one needs to be finding a stadium space in Boston. Yes. I mean, clearly having, and this is not news to anybody who even follows the MLS, having the revs play at Gillette stadium is just garbage no one's gonna go the team's not gonna get better nothing's gonna change exactly and it's been an ongoing recurring thing for over 10 years now that robert Kraft is quote unquote looking for a stadium space in boston but yet the only time it was ever getting close to happening was when boston were close to hosting the 2024 olympics or whatever that is and then once that fell through all of the actual stories kind of fell by the wayside and now we're they're still playing in gillette Nothing's happening. Their attendance numbers are dropping daily. And yet, you know, at the same time in the city of Boston, you have 12,000 people showing up to watch games on a television with a bunch of other sweaty men next to you. So when you compare the two things, it's very, very weird and just jarring. Exactly. There were 12,000 people there to watch games on TVs with other people. Why Why weren't they at the Rev Stadium? Or, you know what I mean? It's just It just shows, like, if people feel so strongly about their Premier League club because of whatever reason, but the fact that they're willing to go to a very crowded part of Boston 
and stand next to somebody and watch the TV, which they could be doing from home. Exactly. It just, it's a weird dynamic for me. I don't even know what to kind of do with that information. Um, but what is really interesting about the whole NBC sports thing is that before they got the Premier League rights, do you know what they had the rights to? The MLS. NBC Sports originally had the rights to the MLS for about two seasons. And, you know, they did a decent job. Yep. I mean, I don't think they had any of the guys that they currently have on on their roster, or women, I apologize, people on their roster of announcers and stuff like that. But they were doing a decent enough job. NBC is a big network, so they're playing a good amount of games. Um, but then what happened? What made uh, NBC Sports lose the MLS rights? Well, the MLS stepped in and said oh hey no remember how you guys paid us at like a normal amount for this obtain for the streaming rights yeah we want an extortionate amount for this next deal and then nbc sports were like well you guys are joking we don't really have that great ratings with the mls and it's not that big we're not going to give you that money yeah y'all played yourself and so nbc sports passed and then I believe Fox Soccer with a you know joint bid with ESPN picked up uh, the MLS rights, which, you know, they've been relatively accessible over the last year. You know, they do play Fox Soccer, Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 do play a good amount of games. But, you know, you've just seen the explosion of how well NBC Sports does with uh, the Premier League rights that by contrast and comparison why couldn't they have done that with the MLS? And it's almost a case of like what could have been, you know what I mean? Like exactly. if NBC knew how to do this with the Premier League, why wouldn't they want to try and build it up for the MLS? Well, maybe that time's coming. I mean, I don't know. Cause at this point, if based on everything I know about the MLS, they're very extortionate with their things and they want complete control and they want to have higher like TV deals than like it's almost worth. So it's like, but Louie, that is not a problem with NBC. That is a problem with American businessmen that want the most out of everything. Right. But unfortunately that's what impacts our sport. And it's like, it's such a weird thing because you should make the MLS as accessible as humanly possible. I find it weird that sometimes I cannot find a channel to watch MLS games. Exactly. I'm in America. Yet, I can find at least several channels to play the Premier League, uh, La Liga. I can watch Serie A now exactly. in America. Yet, I can't even find MLS games every once in a while. Exactly. And you can watch any single basketball you want to watch. Any single football game you want to watch. Shoot, if you want to watch the AAF, if you even know what that is, you can watch that too on ESPN. Dude, ESPN, I'm going to say this a third time. They... ESPN plays the corn, the World Cornhole Championships during the summer. They play like competitive tag, dude. <laughs> um, and so it's hard to look at it and be like, oh, but NBC would have done so much better with the MLS because it's that game of like you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. You know? And so it really is hard to be like, oh, but NBC could have done so much better than uh, Fox and ESPN. And to an extent, like, they kind of could. They could do the cross-promoting thing where they do with the Premier League. Like, imagine if, you know, they're doing a major broadcast, right, during the morning. It's like uh, Manchester United versus Manchester City. Uh, and all of a sudden, like, during the midway break of the game at midtime, they're like, hey, tune in later today, four hours from now, and when you have the Portland Timbers playing Atlanta United or whatever it is. And exactly. they could kind of start bridging that gap between the Premier League fans and the MLS fans. Exactly. And so 
That'll definitely motivate you to get that gold pass or whatever they're offering. Or even if it, sure, but even if it weren't, even if it was all regular, like on their regular network, I feel like that would help boost the MLS uh, attendance, MLS viewership. Exactly. Especially because people trust the NBC SN broadcasters. And so, you know, I understand business is very complicated. I understand that NBC is, is probably not going to get the rights to the MLS anytime soon. I just think it would make a lot of sense if they did. Because they, I believe, have the ability of bridging that gap of almost isolationism exactly. that kind of exists with the MLS, where it's like it exists on its own little island. It doesn't connect with international soccer. But if it were on NBC, they could bridge that gap. They could bring in, you know people who have expertise in the sport of soccer to talk about the MLS, which I guess Fox does and ESPN does. But like I said, sometimes it feels ham-fisted. It feels forced. It feels like they're just way too worried about pushing an agenda rather than just giving people good analysis about exactly. soccer. I also, I agree with you, Louis. I think that, especially since the MLS say they have these expectations, they have these goals they want to reach. They want MLS to be a household name. But the fact that, they're kind of holding themselves back in a sense. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like they're holding themselves back a little bit where they're prioritizing money over the growth of their sport. And, you know, Don Garber is one of the first people to talk about how much the MLS is growing by the attendance numbers and all of this. And it is, but it's just basically the whole point of this episode. I know it was a little, you know, out there, but the whole point of the episode was to illustrate the fact that People in America care about soccer. They do. And if you do it the right way, people would will go and it'll grow the sport. But also in America, it exists currently it exists two separate groups of people who enjoy soccer. The ones who love and defend the MLS about for everything, and the ones who love the Premier League teams that are super readily available to them on their televisions. So why isn't the MLS trying to emulate what some of of what M NBC is doing? Like why aren't they doing these tactics and why aren't and why can't they bridge that gap? Exactly. Because people in the country do care about soccer and you should be able to make the game grow at home while still appreciating the game abroad. And at least that's the way I see it. Like I have the ability of watching MLS games and enjoying them and being like, man, that was really cool. I like this. I support the New England Revolution. I mean, they suck. But if my team were good, I could definitely support them a little bit more. But it's like. You know, I can appreciate the MLS. Yeah. I watch many MLS games every week, and I'm, I can appreciate it. It's just hard because I want that gap to be bridged. and I, I want that accessibility to it, too. Absolutely, and I think that would be the biggest kind of takeaway. But there you have it, guys. Another episode. Let us know what you think. Let us know how you feel about NBC's coverage on Premier League games. Let us know how you think we can improve the gap between Premier League fans and MLS fans. Make sure to comment, make sure to subscribe, make sure to like, make sure to tell your friends to like, make sure you tell your friends to listen, watch one of our videos. We have a whole bunch of different content on our YouTube and you can find us at Trouble Stalker on all of social media, YouTube, Instagram, everything. Come check us out and we'll catch you guys next week.